Welcome to church. I'm going to see how many times we can say circumcision in one service. About 37. That's, my, that's what we got last service, so here we go. Um, well, good morning. Uh, that's what the Bible talks like if you read it enough. So if you've never read the Bible and didn't know that stuff was in there, it's in there. And it's worse than that. Uh, we'll share here in a few minutes. Uh, My name's Jonah. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn. If you're visiting with us, welcome. Uh, We're glad that you're here, especially as we're entering into this beautiful time of year. Uh, Happy Advent. Happy first week of Advent. We're really excited. Uh, A couple of things to point out to you. You should have gotten an invite in the bulletin. Nobody cares about this but me, so I'm going to say it for a second. Uh, I don't know. Anybody pay attention to bulletin artwork? Anybody? A little bit? One, two people? One, two people? We spend way too much time thinking about it. Uh, in the first couple of weeks in the Galatians series, people were like, what's with the maze? Uh, some of you came up and were like, I can't solve the maze on the bulletin artwork. I can't, I can't get there. And we were like, keep coming. And now if you look at the invite, you'll see the maze has transformed into what, what some may argue is a shiny cross. And if you're like, I don't understand what the big deal is, ask somebody with a tattoo and they'll explain it to you. Or someone who feels artsy, right? There's been a progression going on here. The maze was supposed to not be solvable at the very beginning. And now it looks like Jesus, right? You see? And nobody gets it still. You think about it later. Think about it later. So all the creative people here making stuff look like that, cool, thank you. I'm excited about that. Uh, This is our information about our Christmas Eve service. Uh, The four o'clock service will have kind of a family vibe with a kid's sermon happening. And then the evening service will be kind of your traditional classic candlelit service. It's one of our favorite services of the year. I encourage you to check that out. Uh, On the back of the bulletin, there's, again, a a lot happening. Uh, One thing I would point you to, because it's coming up in a few days, uh, this Wednesday, we have a holiday support group, a grief support group. So we're we take mental health real seriously as a church, and we've begun offering some trainings on how to recognize mental health issues or respond in light of them. And grief and loss is just a recurring theme that many in the church are underprepared to deal with, and especially around the holidays, which can arouse any number of memories, uh, issues, uh, old pain. And so one of our deacons, Sarah Ash, will be leading that. Uh, I really encourage you to come, especially if the holidays are a tough time for you or people in your family. So check that out. And uh, then we've got just a few more weeks in Galatians. I'll leave you in suspense for what's coming after that, but it's going to be wonderful, I think, because it's the Bible, right? So it would be good. Uh, And then the last thing is uh, if you've ever given at Sojourner, if you've given in the last 12 months, rather, you should have received a letter in the mail in the last week or so about a year-end giving campaign. Uh, We're coming off, if you're new here, last year we raised a whole bunch of money to put in handicap accessible restrooms, a a lobby space, a real entrance. And so we're still trying to take a rest from raising a whole bunch of money, kind of historically at Sojourn, there was just kind of giving campaign after giving campaign after giving campaign. And we just want to give some room to breathe there. But but we have some cool opportunities that we wanted to see if we could raise some money for at the end of the year. And so the first one, there's one that's kind of necessary but boring, and two that's necessary and exciting. Uh, The boring one is when, when we replaced built all that stuff over there. We put new roof in over there, but we still have this maybe 60-year-old roof over this room. And so if you've ever come in on a rainy day and you're like, why are there giving buckets all over the floor? Or if you come in and see like Stephen Pierce or Matt McCarty, they're on our staff. Like, why are they so red and dirty? It's 8 a.m. They're the guys that are climbing up, trying to make a patchwork roof on this space. And it's leaking all the time, Uh, especially these wonderful vintage skylights that we have, which there's more up under here. So we want to put some money towards replacing this roof 
And then the other bit of money we want is uh, we have several families living full-time overseas, and the, the places they are living as missionaries, uh, Christian community is very sparse. And so we do a good job of resourcing them strategically or remaining in kind of contact over here from the States or planning stuff. Uh, but one of the consistent requests we get from them is how much it means for them just to be in the presence of other Christians. They're one of the reasons that we stream our services online because they don't get to go to a church service or they don't get to hear other Christians singing. And so we, we want to start sending folks out there for the sole purpose of being with them, of, of sharing our presence with them and blessing them with being in the presence of other Christians. And we don't have money for that in the budget this year. So we want to raise $15,000, half of that going to sending folks overseas to just bless and encourage our missionaries, the other half of that to replace this roof. And that's above our normal budget. So our, our budget's in a really healthy spot right now. So we're asking whatever you normally give to contribute beyond that to try to hit this $15,000. And if you're like, 15 grand, that's a lot of money. Uh, what that breaks out to is if everybody who gave this year gave $75, we would hit that. So it's, for some of you, you know, you should put a zero at the end of that, right? Like $75, you spend that on lunch every day with your family or something like that. Like you don't even blink at $75. And so you should do more than that. But some of you, 75 will be a huge sacrifice. We're just saying it's not a far reach goal for all of us to chip in and, and make that happen. And we're excited for what could happen with it. So if you want more information about that, you can stop at the welcome table or check your weekly email. All right. Couple, see how long we avoided talking about circumcision? See how long we did that? I could have just kept going. Could have kept going, but we got to do it. Here we go. Um, we're nearing the end of Galatians, um, a book about freedom, about new life in Christ. A, a couple of weeks ago, Paul described our life in Christ as putting Jesus on, like putting on his righteousness like a new pair of clothes, the text said. And one of the things that we've, we've said several times throughout the series, we've been in Galatians a few months now, uh, we've, we've said that the, the life of freedom is far more threatening and far more difficult than most of us think. Uh, conceptually, freedom sounds great, especially if I'm guessing most of us were born in America and we kind of have freedom in our bones and we, we take it for granted a little bit. And it's just this huge abstract concept. And as Galatians has pressed into some of the practicals of what does this freedom actually look like, I, I'm hearing in conversations I have with people about how scary it is, or d doing new things, going in, in new directions. Um, and, and we'll talk about some of that this morning. The, the big picture reality, and it's a, it's a sad reality that we'll see this morning, is um, you know, most of us get the idea that you can say no to Jesus on the front end. There's all kinds of stories in the scriptures, right? Jesus inviting people to dinner, and you can say, no, I don't want to go to dinner with you. Uh, so you can, you can lose freedom by just simply rejecting it, saying, no, I don't want this life with Christ. But what we see this morning is that once you're in the family of God, once you're safe there forever, you can't become unadopted in the family of God, but you can lose your experience of being free. You can be in a free family and still live like a slave person. To see how this happens and, and what this looks like, we're going to start where Paul starts here in one of the greatest single verses in all of Scripture. I'm going to read it from a different translation. Verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. The translation in your bulletin will say, Christ has truly set us free. Uh, this is a very 
a complex grammatical sentence going on here, which is why it's helpful to own multiple translations, and you can see all the different ways it, it can bring out some of the nuances of what's going on that we can miss in our own Bible sometimes. But it, it's a summary. This one verse is a summary of what Paul has been saying in Galatians 1 through 4, and he's talking about um, you know, the motivation for what God has done. Why did God do what he did? Well, out of a desire for us to be free, that's how much God cares about his, our freedom. He, he did all of these things we'll talk about for the sake of our freedom. What is uh, the destiny of our freedom? What is the goal, the end result of the Christian life? And most of us, especially if you've been around the church, we would say the glory of God, right? Amen? One amen? One, a couple amens. Glory of God, it's a big deal and it's important. We are a pro-glory of God church. But then what do you do when it says it's for freedom that Christ has set you free? Shows us the wonder of God's multifaceted mission in creation. It's not just one thing. One of the primary goals of life is your freedom. That's how much God cares about it. Free to be who you were made to be. Free to know and be known. To use your gifts to live without fear and insecurity, wide open spaces to be who God made you to be. And God cares so much about that, that he sent his son to die for you and then to raise from the dead and to live inside of you so you could be free. Freedom is one of the biggest deals in the entire Bible. But then he follows it with this. Verse one continues, stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So this tells us a little bit something about our, our freedom, right? It's not taken, it's received. He doesn't say, fight for your freedom. Fight for your right to stay free. He's like, listen, this has been given to you, so stand. Stand firm. It's kind of this weird quasi-passive posture. It's not totally passive, because you're, you're doing something, you're holding your ground. But he says, stand firm. You've been given this free space, now simply stand and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Your freedom was bought at a price. It was a hard-won battle. Don't relinquish it. And do you see the implicit warning here? Yes, you're free, but you can lose that freedom. You can go back and be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. One of the primary freedom thieves um, that can lure us back into slavery is implied here. And this is, you know, sometimes you got to show your work as a preacher and sometimes you just got to go for it. And if you guys wanted to be for like two hours, we could go through all the work here. But just, you got to go with me on this a little bit or we can email afterwards. So Paul is a Jew's Jew, right? He, said, he basically says, I'm better at Judaism than any other Jew. I can out perform you in obedience. He probably, it's very, very highly probable that he had the whole Old Testament memorized. So if you said to Paul, hey, what's your favorite verse in Deuteronomy? Or can you tell me something about Deuteronomy? He would tell you Deuteronomy and he would go for it, right? Just by verbatim, by his mouth. He would have the whole thing memorized. So for Paul, no discussion of freedom and slavery can happen without thinking about the great freedom story of the Bible. Anybody know? What's the great freedom story in the Bible? Exodus, thank you. I should have said for the Old Testament. I wasn't trying to trick anybody. Exodus, right? Where God's people lived in slavery for years and years and years. And then we, is everything all right? Okay, sorry. I'm just gonna keep rolling. For years and years and years, the people of God lived in slavery under Pharaoh in Egypt. God shows up 
and he sets them free. And if you know the story, he sets them free in miraculous ways, in powerful ways, and a short time into the wilderness in this new life of freedom, what do the freed people start wishing they could do? Go back. Go, go back to Egypt. And we don't understand all of why it's happened. Initially, freedom will feel like a journey through the wilderness, like it did for Israel, in new territory, where it's unknown, it's unfamiliar, new habits, new rhythms, new ways of being you. And all of this was being directed by a God they couldn't directly see, who kept them in kind of a next step dependence, right? He would give them what's next, but not necessarily tell them what's going to happen 10 days from now. He would say, I'm going to give you food, but didn't exactly say what was in the food, right? Magic bread from heaven. And so they're left in this strange place of dependence. At some point, and this is speculative, they began thinking to themselves something like, yeah, freedom is great and slavery was bad. But you remember how beautiful the buildings in Egypt were? Could you remember when we'd be walking out in the mornings and be cool and you could see the sun shining off the temples? And like, I know it was like pagan worship, but you could smell the incense and you could hear their music playing. And then, you know, we would walk by the granaries and we could see all of the food right there. I know we were in slavery, but like we could see the food and it was beautiful and we don't know if we're going to eat tomorrow. And he told us we can't even save food overnight and we've just got trees and bushes and now desert. Slavery was normal for them. And as we'll talk about here in a second, normal feels safe. And in the new life of freedom, they began to miss that feeling of safety. All of this is implicit in all these conversations that Paul has about freedom and slavery. Exodus is the backdrop that he is thinking through. And he's trying to remind them, in the life of freedom, it will often feel like the wilderness did for the Israelites in the beginning. You'll do things you didn't do before. You will learn a new kind of dependence, new habits, new rhythms, and it will feel profoundly threatening to your soul. So, one of the great tragedies of the, the human condition, and in some ways it's a blessing, but one of the great tragedies is that our first years, so this is, think, up to like age 15, our first years create a profound sense in us of what's normal. And this is biologically, this is emotionally. So whatever the emotional, physical realities of your first 15 or so years were, that will feel normal to you, even if it was horrific, like slavery in Egypt. As you get older, when life gets crazy, and you've seen this play out, when life gets crazy, you will find a way to recreate what has been normal for you even if normal was crazy, right? So here's, here's what I mean by this. Um, I, don't, I made a group of guys do this, about 30 guys the other day, raised their hands, and everyone got uncomfortable and sad. So you don't have to just answer in your spirit right now, okay? Um, I wonder how many of us at some point in life, so late teens, early 20s, maybe as you're starting to date seriously, you said in your mind, I will not be like my father, or I will not be like my mother, right? I will not be the dad he was. I will never be the spouse that my mom was. I will not be like my father, right? We're all answering yes in our spirits right now. 
So if you're nervous that you just answered yes, that you had that statement, it was like 89% of everyone in here said, just answered yes. Uh, and then you get married, or you start dating seriously, or when it really starts cooking is when the kids come. You get a couple of them little ones running around, and then at a real poignant moment, one spouse will say to the other, in a moment of intensity, you are just like your father, right? When you said that, you look just like your mom. And it's like, what's, what's going on there? Like we, we said, hey, I'm never going to do this. I'm never going to be this way. And then when anxiety hits, or then when stress hits, or then when life gets harder sideways, we end up being just like the things that we said were so crazy. Because slavery feels normal to us. Slavery feels safe, even when it's so broken. The lesson here is that our freedom can be lost because of our pasts. If we don't do the work of resolving our own stories and and histories, we can be lured back into slavery and it can look so good. We idealize what it was or what it wasn't. We crave the feeling of safety and predictability that it brought. So we go back. If you want freedom, which it's possible to not want freedom. I think it's, it's deep, deeply rooted in the human soul, but rebellion and hard-heartedness can get so strong that we can see freedom right in, right in front of our faces and say no to it. If you're one of the lucky few who actually wants to be free, you have to be prepared to face the wilderness as Israel did. You have to be prepared to set your face like flint to the promised land and recognize that Egypt is not normal. Like in the journey of normal adulthood, at some point, we have to realize that so many parts of what we've lived have not been normal. And with our faces set like flint, we stand firm and say, we will not go back. When, when faced with the vulnerability and the threat of freedom, of being a new person, some will be drawn by their pasts and what they've lived and experienced to go recreate that and return to slavery. Others will take um, another road. There's another huge threat that Paul talks about here. It's it's our old friend, religion. So verse four says, you who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. Um, So by, by... Religion, I'm talking about a system of self-justification. The Christian religion is a beautiful invitation into a person, into a relationship. When our religion becomes a system of making ourselves right or earning our way into God's pleasure and acceptance, it's become twisted and it enslaves. Uh, Gospel freedom is only received. It's never taken. It's something that we cannot earn or achieve. And there's part of us that can say that and say it's really good news, but have you ever stopped and wondered why is it so threatening? Why do we have to talk about the gospel every week and it still doesn't quite sink in? Or or we still go back and struggle throughout the week? How many places in our life do we experience this kind of love? Where someone says, I love you because I love you, because I love you, and I will never, never stop loving you. And what did you, it doesn't matter what you did today or didn't do today because I love you. This kind of love doesn't come naturally to us. And you know this feeling. When you've made a mistake and a, maybe your spouse or a good friend responds to you in grace, you feel almost guilty about it. And you start scrambling for ways to try to earn it back. Or even in a less threatening way, when someone invites you over for dinner and you freak out being like, what should we bring? I have to bring something. And if I just say, I will come to your house, you know, we, 
we are so wired against receiving grace. So we often will turn to rules. And maybe not necessarily rules, it could be performance, it could be some kind of achievement, some kind of spiritual task that we can look at and say, because I've done this or I didn't do these things, I know I'm the real deal. And we see this in positive and negative ways. The, the people who say, I don't know how anyone call themselves a Christian and pff, fill in the blank. We've heard this, right? You've said this, I've said this. How could anyone call themselves a Christian in blank? If that blank is something other than believe Jesus loves them and died on the cross for them and was risen in victory for them, you've fallen into that old slave religion. What about, look at all these things that I've done though. I did this and I did this and I did this and we're the real Christians. Look at what we've done. That's that old slavery of self-justifying religion. The moment you feel like you're not doing well enough, the condemnation returns. Freedom is lost, and you're once again a slave to your own performance. You're not living free. So what does Paul say to this? Verses 5 and 6. By faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Which, notice real quick here, I love it. We're off manuscript now. Um, The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. There's all kinds of things that look like faith, but may not be expressed in love, right? There's things that you can do that look very Christian-y, but they could be done by motivations of self-justification, or I want to look good to the crowd, or I want to prove everybody. And what Paul is saying here is, how petty are you? You think your religious performance matters to God anymore? That's, that's the whole issue with circumcision is it was this group of people that were coming down and saying, if you really want to be a Christian, if you want to do it right, you will do this thing. And Paul is saying, you have totally missed what Jesus has come to do. You, your religious performance does not matter anymore because Christ has performed for us. Your religious performance does not matter anymore. And if your immediate response to that is not overwhelming gratitude, it's fear about, did the preacher just tell everyone they should go sin, right? My religious performance doesn't matter, so we just get to go do whatever we want to do. That reveals how deeply entrenched you are into your own slavery. And we're going to talk all about that next week, right? It's never the last sermon. There's always another one. And you can keep reading in chapter five to see what Paul has to say about that. But we, we have to see that Jesus is the perfect Israel. The one who the prophet said set his face like flint towards Jerusalem. The one who, as we'll see next, next year, so what, six weeks or so, we're going to be in the early life of Jesus. Uh, he lived in Egypt and he came out of Egypt like Israel did, but he never went back to Egypt. He is the son that God called out of Egypt He's the one who has secured the promise of our adoption through his own blood, confirmed by his resurrection. And he's saying, I love you because I love you, not because of anything you have to do. If you try to add to what I've done, all you do is subtract from what I've done. If you try to increase to what I've done, all you've done is destroyed what I've done. This kind of love with all of its risks and challenges, the the wide open spaces of God's you know, next step love, where he'll say, this is maybe the next thing for you to do, rather than painting you this 30-year picture with all of its mystery, with all of its dependence, it feels so threatening to us. 
So many of us, when we feel that coming on, we will look at that well-padded harness of slavery and say, it wasn't so bad. It wasn't that bad. At, at least we can point to something and know. Maybe you felt condemned by the rules, but at least you knew where you stood. The, the unrestricted, abundant, lavish, so many words we could use, love of God often feels so disorienting to us. And on that road of disorienting, you remember how sure you were when you first became a Christian? Or those periods of life where it was just black and white, it was crystal clear what the way forward looked like. And then you start going into new, new territory, new ways of being you, new rhythms, and it feels disorienting and someone will come along and try to tempt you back. You remember how you remember how clear everything was when you just kind of had tight boxes and everything made more sense? You remember how certain we were, how safe you felt? So we look at the rules again. We look at our own self-righteousness, our own religious performance, like the Israelites reminiscing about the temples of Egypt. It's ambiguous figuring out if you're loved or not, so why don't you just follow all the rules? Let's start with circumcision. And, and to that, Paul has one of the crudest, most vulgar, rude statements in the entire Bible. Verse 12 says, for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. And the language is even rougher than that. The, probably the closest way we could put what he's saying here in English is to, to those who are troubling you like this, tell them I hope the knife slips. I mean, it is vulgar, Crude, angry, why would he talk this way? Because the freedom that God has purchased us, purchased for us, cost him his own son. Our freedom is tainted red with the blood of Christ, and we must not give it up so easily. It is for freedom, not for rule following, that Christ has set us free. So what does it mean to stand firm? Now, what I don't want to do is give you like four steps, four practical things so that you can leave here and be like, ah, check, 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 check. We're not going to trade one form of slavery to another and just dress it up in gospel church clothes, right? So this is going to be a little bit more ambiguous because the life of freedom is a life of relationship. It's of exploration and mystery and dependence. So I'm going to, I'll give you a couple of maybe principles or, or categories to keep in mind as you're thinking about this. The, the first is, um, you know, freedom always requires restriction in every area of life, period. The idea of freedom being this unbounded, do whatever you want, whenever you want, no one believes that and no one wants that. Part of standing firm in the gospel that has been given to us is embracing real limitations. Anyone who rejects limitations in their life is living as a slave. And you can probably figure out what they're enslaved to in three or four questions. Spend two days with them and you'll, fi you'll figure it out. So this is true in our spiritual world, in our biological world, in our relational world. Just give me, I'll give you one example. If you want to be free, you have to embrace some kind of limitation or restriction. If you want to, if you want to be sharp at your job, you want to be ready to go to work in the morning, be able to be present with your coworkers, do a good job, earn your paycheck, period, whatever. You have to embrace the limitation of sleep. 
If you don't sleep well the night before, your performance will likely suffer the day after, unless you're like in your early 20s and you can pull it off a couple of times in a row, right? You can, you can go on no sleep a few times in a row. Go talk to the person that's been running on two, three hours of sleep for three months, assuming they're not in the hospital, and ask them how they're doing. I love meeting with, uh, it's usually pastors that talk this way, but they'll be like, you know, God just made me to only need four hours of sleep. And I'll say, see, in a few years, right, like, we'll see how that goes. Or you can go talk to their friends and their spouse and ask them, how is that, how is that going? You cannot think clearly. You cannot love well. You cannot work well. You cannot relate. You basically can't do anything well long-term if you do not sleep. And that's a real limitation. Uh, Maybe you want to be a musician. Well, one of the first limitations you're going to have to experience is choosing an instrument. Maybe down the road, you can play lots of instruments. On the front end, you got to at least say, this is the instrument I'm going to play. And you can't just make up notes. Our God is a God of order, not a God of chaos. So there's things like scales you have to learn and what notes go together where. And you have to practice that and play that if you want to play well with freedom. On and on we could go. Freedom is not the denial of limitations. It's embracing the right ones. I'll give you a spiritual example. If you want, if this life of freedom, of being who you were made to be, free from guilt, fear, shame, insecurity, if that sounds appealing to you, if you want to experience this kind of life in the promised land, you must accept the limitation of saying Jesus is Lord. You can't say anything else is Lord. If you want life in God's good country, that only comes by saying Jesus is Lord. Now, thanks be to God, he says anybody can come to dinner if you want to come to dinner. He won't, anyone who wants to come into this life, he won't say, no, you can't come. So the doors are wide open, but you can't come unless you receive the invitation to come. You, you cannot experience this life with God apart from saying Jesus is Lord. So practically speaking, this will mean that we're people who love God's word and embrace his promises. That's a limitation. How will we figure out how to do life? Through God's word. And we will do what he tells us to do. We embrace his restrictions, knowing they teach us to live in true freedom. I've said this so many times that I hope you guys are sick of it by now. So in Exodus, did God give the Ten Commandments before or after he rescued them and named them his people? After. He doesn't say, all right, guys, I'm going to give you a deal. Keep these ten rules for a hundred years and I'll rescue your grandchildren out of slavery. The rules were never about their rescue. He rescues them because he loves them and says, you have no idea how to be free. So here's some ways to go about being free. The rules, the invitations, the limitations become about life and true freedom. So we stop looking to our performance and instead rest in his. So what will that mean for you? I don't know. But if, if there are no real conscious embracing of limitations in your life, you're a slave somewhere. So maybe you've experienced some of this, maybe you've embraced some of these limitations, and you go out into this new world of freedom and you start feeling scared and threatened. And maybe there's a long-standing habit that you've had and you start saying no, and all of a sudden you really start missing it even more than ever, or you feel tempted to do it even more than ever. Maybe you embrace God's limitations on your words. You know Jesus talks about how you should talk. And he'll say something like, uh, speak the truth and what? In love, thank you. You guys do better at the New Testament than Old Testament. That's good. Speak the truth in love, which means you can speak the truth and be a jerk, right? Or you can, speak the, you can say something that's true and be wrong in how you said it, right? 
So that's a restriction he puts on your word. Say what's true and say it in love, which means maybe you need to stop lying. Or if we don't lie, we just exaggerate. Or we just embellish or fudge, right? Maybe you need to stop lying. Maybe you need to work on how cold and harsh you are. I don't know. God says, here's how your words need to work. Speak true words and speak them in loving ways. So maybe you're like the harsh person, the angry person. And you're going to say, I'm going to start being encouraging instead of being so angry and critical. And you say something encouraging to somebody, and then you feel soft all of a sudden. You feel vulnerable. You feel weak, right? You feel that threat. I'm exposed now. We must learn to expect that when we step into the life of freedom, it will feel threatening. So when that feeling comes up, that doesn't mean it's not working. Much the opposite. That initial feeling of threat and disorientation, that is freedom doing its work. It's your body, your soul, your mind creating a new normal. Maybe you embrace God's restrictions on your value. It's not what you do, but who you are. What would that mean if my value rested in who I am? It means you probably wouldn't be so scared about sharing failures. It means you probably wouldn't spend so much time building this image to try to impress everybody. So you share that you screwed up with somebody or you let the veneer down. And again, you feel weak, you feel exposed, you feel threatened. That doesn't mean that there's something wrong. This is normal. When these feelings come, receive them as the normal process of becoming free. You're learning a new normal and that will always feel threatening. Don't go back to Egypt. Don't go back to your old normal, but stand firm. And finally, we often uh, around here speak of Jesus and him crucified which is absolutely true and, and good, and it's, it's beautiful. We will not stop talking about Christ and him crucified. Um, that's where we have evidence of God's love for us. That's an invitation to trust. When we stand on this precipice of potential freedom, though, it can be very helpful to remember how the final chapter in the story of freedom began, not with an angry, demanding God, not with an offended judge coming and shaking his fist at us and shouting at us, but with a baby in a manger who was helpless and needy and vulnerable. When you're afraid in this new life of freedom, unsure of what God's up to and where he's leading you, you can return to Bethlehem and say, this is how he invited me into the life of freedom. Vulnerable, needy, helpless. Have you ever been scared of a baby in real life? That's why strangers touch your baby, right? Because everybody's just drawn to him. And this is how God comes to us to say, this is who I am, and this is how you know you can trust me, even as things get confusing and disorienting and scary. Advent is the invitation into the free life, and it comes to us from an infant baby boy. His name is Jesus. You can come to him. You can trust him. He's for you. He's with you, and he will lead you. So I know it's scary. I know it's disorienting. It's the only way to be human, though, to be truly human. There's other ways you can be alive, but not to be who God made you to be. And thanks be to God, he invites us to come to him and learn how to stand firm. So we remember that God is trustworthy, that he's for us, that he loves us by remembering the night that this baby boy, once he was grown, said to his disciples, this is my body broken for you. Eat this and remember what I've done for you. After the meal, he took a cup of wine he said, this is my blood shed for you, which seals your relationship with God. Drink this and remember what I've done for you. This is what keeps us safe in the family of God. The body of Christ broken for us and the blood of Christ shed for us. Our tradition here is to come forward and rip off a piece of bread, dip it in wine or juice, and there'll be uh, gluten-free elements to my left. 
your right, and the wine will have a piece of twine wrapped around it. I'll pray for us, and then Christians, you can come forward to remember our hope as you're ready. Let's pray.